You're listening to Live 360 with Tony Sutherland, and this is episode 16. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in today. Today's episode is going to be one of the most important episodes I've ever recorded. I say that a lot about all my episodes. They're all my children. They're all my little babies that I've sent out into the world. I hope they accomplish great things uh, for humanity. But this one, I just got to admit, it's it's in my arsenal. It's one of those teachings I teach and preach a lot when I travel. It's a foundational message that flows out of the radical gospel of grace in which I am a 100% convert and advocate of. I live my life on the right side of the New Testament divider in my Bible. I am new covenant, Jesus, grace, finished work. We're going to talk a lot about that today. It's foundational and I know it will completely change the way you view yourself and the way you live your life. And so let's hit the official introduction. All right, guys, let's jump right on in. As I always say, I guess that's become my uh, official starting phrase. Let's jump right on in. But you know, that's what we do because when we get into the word, man, we just jump in. There's so much in it. Um, and I'm so excited about this episode today. It has become a benchmark concept for me in how I live my life. And I'm going to be honest with you, man. Up until I discovered this 10 years ago, I was a Christian for years in ministry for years. I just really struggled mentally. I had so much, um, so many things that just inhibited me of, of experiencing peace and joy. Am I perfect? Do I still make a ton of mistakes? Absolutely. But my joy level and my peace level with Jesus has been so consistent. And it's because he's consistent. It's because I know him and I know his heart for me. And I know that he doesn't turn his face away and he doesn't he isn't disappointed with me and he isn't, uh, he, you know, he's just, he never gives up on me. And I know that now in a greater measure in my life than I've ever known before. And it just, I, I, I have this little hashtag that just constantly stays in the back of my mind. It's hashtag relax with God, hashtag relax with God. Uh, I, I just, even though I, uh, you know, my behavior is not perfect. My wife can tell you that. My kids can tell you that. I can tell you that. I am not a, I don't have this thing perfect. I, I haven't learned how to obey God perfectly. I haven't learned how to walk out my Christian walk with just perfect behavior, 100% consistent. But deep in my heart, more than ever, now than ever before, I know that he is good with me. God is good with me. I can relax with God, hashtag relax with God on a consistent basis because of what some of the things I'm going to teach you today and share with you today. And you're going to tuck it in. And I just pray it comes alive for you. I pray that it just comes alive for you in such a way that when you hear it, it gives you this big sigh of relief. That's just kind of like my life now. I just have this sigh of relief that I'm not anxious with God anymore. I'm really not. And when I start to go down that pathway, I'm reminded of the things that I'm going to share with you today. And it just pulls me back to true north. 
I'm enjoying my life with Jesus so much more than I ever have before. I really am. You know, there's an old song that says the journey to heaven gets sweeter every day. And I, and I heard people sing that and I looked at the people that sang that and it didn't model it for me. It looked like they could sing it in church, but their lives were just a constant struggle to make God happy with them and make him smile upon him, them. And, and that life was just as always this measuring stick or this to-do list and, I have just discovered that the Christian life should not be lived in that way. And the things that I'm going to talk to you today about, I am so, uh, just so stoked. And I know I keep talking about it. So let's just jump right on in to the passage of scripture that we're going to talk about today. Today, if if I were to title this podcast, it would be called My Mirror Image. All right, guys, let's start with James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Verse 22 says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Verse 24, for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Verse 25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Now let's look at the history of this this passage. Um, And I know we don't like this part of it, but I think you're going to find it interesting, um, both in a historical context and a relational context. Sometimes we miss that. But it's not just history, but there's also what's going on and who's involved and what's the climate and what's the relation tension going on here. Well, we know the author is James. He was the brother of Jesus. Think about that. So you've got an eyewitness who has not only followed Jesus at a certain point in his adult life, but has known him his whole life, who has grown up with him, who saw his consistency, who saw the relationship between his mother and father. And honestly, I'm, I'm a, I am may be assuming this, but I think I'm pretty accurate in saying that Jesus was probably Mary and Joseph's favorite child. You know, I'm a parent. We don't have favorite children, but we like to hang out with certain ones more than the others. And of course, I'm, I'm joking, but I'm just saying there was, there's all kinds of implications here and observations that James has. He probably was jealous. He may have been... Um, disconnected from Jesus. And we'll find out why, because uh, scriptures and traditions seem to indicate that James did not become a believer until after the resurrection. You can study it out in John 7, 3 through 5, Acts 1 and 14, 1 Corinthians 15 and 7, Galatians 1 and 19, and Galatians 2 and 9. So what that tells me is, is that John or Jesus and James probably had a disconnected relationship. James was not uh, he was not a pro Jesus is the son of God kind of guy, kind of brother growing up. He probably had his doubts. He was like, who does this guy think he is? He's a brother. He's just one of the brothers. You know, we, he's not more, any more important than we are. Mom and dad don't love Jesus anymore. And, 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 and so I'm sure that went on in James's mind. It's, I'm assuming it, but you can, you can just deduct some things from knowing that James was not a believer until after the resurrection. And this was the core of who Jesus was. I mean, Jesus was, I am he. 
I mean, at age 12, Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. He wasn't talking about Joseph. He was talking about God. And Joseph, and he stayed back in Jerusalem three days. And, 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 and Joseph and Mary were like, where is Jesus? Could you imagine what his brothers must have been like? Like, what were you thinking? So there had to be some of that family tension there. And so when you read the Bible, you have to understand some of these things to better understand the context behind it. Because if you take the text out of the context, all you get is a con. And, and, and by that, I mean, you have to... You have to take into account, account all these things to really pull the meaning out of these verses. Um, interestingly enough, the book of James is probably the oldest book of the New Testament. Where do we normally start when we read the Bible? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We, we read the life of Jesus, the de- and that's all good. But I believe that this passage of Scripture, the first chapter of James, if James is the oldest book, in the New Testament, that means that it has foundational things in it that we should pull from when we're when we're learning to walk this Christian grace walk. So you go back to the first; it's called first mention. There's a there's a theological term, loosely a loose term called first mention. If it's mentioned first, it must be important enough to remember. Well, this is the oldest book in the New Testament, so it means that there's some things in this passage that we should grab onto at the start. See, uh, the start, how you start, is is a propulsion to how you'll finish. If you start strong with something, you're probably going to finish strong. Think about a rocket ship. It has to start strong to reach its destination. You know, the scaffolding and the launching pad is all exploding and falling apart and there's fire and there's flame. And, 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 and in order to get a good launch, it has to have a good propulsion. And so James being first mentioned, there's things in this book that give us tools and understanding and concepts and attitudes and mentality and the way we think that give us a strong start in our walk with Jesus. Another important thing that we know about James is the tone of his writing. He was a holiness preacher. He was a defender of his brother. I mean, take it, think about it this way. If you had a brother or a sister or family member that went to fight in a foreign war, and came back maybe with an amputated arm or a or a, a, a lifelong wound or maybe was paralyzed and came back off the plane and was greeted with contempt and anger and people were out there burning flags outside the plane. How would you feel with your brother? Would you not, or your sister, would you not step in front of that crowd and saying, who do you guys think you are? My brother went off to war and he has come back and he's come back injured all for the sake of our country and all for this. And I'm not being political here. I'm just trying to set the tone of James' delivery of, of the book. He was very, very like, how dare you live in such a way that doesn't reflect what my brother sacrificed his life for? How dare you live unholy lives? And he was, that's the tone of James. He was called James the Just. He was known as a holiness preacher of his day 
because the resurrection had such an impact on his life that it altered the course of his disbelief. And now he is a firm believer in what he saw his brother die. He saw his brother suffer. He saw his brother crying out and bleeding in agony. And now he has become the voice piece or the, the mouthpiece to that current generation. How dare you live in such a way as to mock and to trample on the precious sacrifice that my brother, the son of God has given. That's James Tone as you read this book. And it's important to know that again, relational context, historical context. It's the oldest book in the New Testament. And so now James is preaching and you, you know, he's adamant, he's excited, he's passionate as he's writing this. And if he were speaking it, he would be saying, verse 22, you need to do the word and you need to prove that you are a doer of the word and don't just hear it only because if you just hear the word and you don't live it out, you don't walk it out, you deceive yourself. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. Now here's where the, here's where the context of this passage changes and you need to, there's a comma there for a reason. There's a comma after the word doer. So that means pause And now let's find out what the direction of the next phrase is. It says, if you're not a doer of the word, but you only hear it, but you can't live it out. See, it's easy to hear the word. It's easy to go, okay, yeah, I need to do that. I need to walk this way. I need to talk this way. I need to live this way. But if I'm not doing it and I'm not walking it out and I'm not experienced the fullness of the victorious life in Jesus Christ, what is the direction and, and, and why am I not doing that? And I think that's a big question for many of us. Why can I not be more consistent in my walk with Jesus? Why can't I be more consistent in the way I live my life and the way I walk this thing out in front of others? Comma. There's a comma here. And so that says, so let's pay attention to the next phrase. And we're still in verse 23. It says, the reason you hear the word and you can't do it because, comma, He is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Verse 24, for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So here's the thing right now. It's it's addressing the mirror. What mirror, when you look in the mirror, and again, it's using a natural uh, connotation, for a spiritual connotation. When I look in the mirror, what, when I see them, when I look into the mirror, what do I see? And when I walk away from that mirror, I forget what I've seen, what kind of person I am. So we're talking about mirrors right here. We're talking about mirrors. And I want you to keep that in mind. My mirror image. What is my mirror image? Why am I forgetting what manner of man I am? Why am I forgetting what kind of person I am? Why when I look away and I forget who I am, that's the cause of me stumbling along the way or not walking consistently in this life that Christ has designed for me to walk in. Why can't I walk in it? Why am I constantly failing and tripping up and not doing the words that I hear, not heeding to the words that I hear, not obeying the words that I hear? It's because I'm looking in a mirror and I'm looking at myself and I'm forgetting who I am and what manner of person I am and I'm walking away and I'm immediately forgetting who I am and I begin to immediately stumble. 
this is the cause of, of why James really felt that people weren't walking it out is because they were looking in the mirror and forgetting who they were. Hey guys, I just want to take a moment and thank you for listening to this podcast. I want to remind you to subscribe and leave us a review, especially if you're listening on Apple podcast. This just helps us get the word out and bring more awareness to this platform so that we can share content with people and help them discover how to have peace and joy in every area of their life. So let's jump back in. Hey, I want you to have a better image of who you are in Christ. I want you to see yourself like he sees you so that you can see others the way God sees them too. So let's jump back into it. All right now, so we've kind of got a little concept of what's going on here, but now let's talk about the mirror. Okay, so when James is saying you forget who you are, what is he talking about? Is he saying that when you look in the mirror, you see a terrible version of yourself and you forget what you like? Most people say when you look in the mirror, brother, you have to start with yourself. You have to look at that that part of you that's not doing right and fix it. There's a there's a famous song. We all know where we're going here with the song called The Man in the Mirror. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And no message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make that change. So when we look in the mirror, most of the time we think the the same thing this song is saying. When you look in the mirror and you forget that you messed up, you forget that you failed. Look at, look at, look at who you are. Look what you've done. And I'm not willing to take a good long look at myself. So I'll just walk away from this mirror and forget about it and go right back to who. No, guys, that's the way that we typically look at this passage of scripture. But you have to understand this is the oldest book in the New Testament. And there's a foundational secret in this passage. If you see it today, if you even get a little bit of glimpse at it today, I believe it's going to revolutionize the way you walk with Jesus, the way you talk and the way you think about yourself and the way you think about God, because it all comes down to this. The basis of our Christian life is what we think about God, what we think God thinks about us and what we think about ourselves. That's the three, that's called the workhorse of Christianity, where everything is built on what we think about God, what we think God thinks about us, and what we think about ourselves. Let's just talk about that for a minute. What we think about God. Do we think he's a mean, angry, old man sitting on a throne, holding out a scepter, banging us on the head, demanding our total allegiance? Or is he a is he a traffic cop that's, that, that arrests us and gives us a ticket every time we jaywalk? Is he a sheriff that comes riding up on a horse to take us to jail every time? Is he a party pooper? Does he not want us to have any fun and turn our music down? See, our vision of God, our view of God will determine what we, you know, that's, and, and, and if we see God that way, then we automatically assume what he thinks about us. We're just a bunch of lawbreakers that should die. And that will cause us to have a vision of ourselves. So I want to try to introduce a new concept to some of you today that the mirror that James is talking about in this passage of scripture 
is not the mirror that we've traditionally associated with this, with this passage. He says, the reason why we're not doing the word is because when we look in a mirror, we forget what we see. We forget something. So this, the problem with, with walk, inconsistent an inconsistent walk with Jesus is not a sin problem. It's a memory problem. It's, it's, it's also a focus problem. Okay. And we're going to learn that a little bit more here in a second. Now I want you to think about this. When you go to like a carnival or you go to like a, one of those, you know, those side road carnivals that come set up in town near the grocery stores, those ones that you're kind of always scared to go to. When you go into those little fun houses that they have, it's probably a trailer with a bunch of funny, weird mirrors. When you look in that distorted mirror, you don't see the true image of who you are. You see a distorted image. Why is that? It's because you're looking in the wrong mirror or you're looking into a mirror that was intended to make you look different, short and stubby, tall and skinny, fat, warped. When you look in those mirrors, and it's funny how we can see that and we instinctively know that's not who we are, but that mirror portrays an image of who we are not, all right? And so when you look into the mirror, what do you see in your spiritual life? Now, this is very important. And even more importantly, what mirror are you looking into? Because there's different mirrors we can look into. Let's find out in the very next verse in James 1, James chapter 1, what mirror James is telling us to look into because this is very important. The mirror that we look into, if it's not the right mirror, we will see a distorted image of who we are. But if we look into the right mirror, we're going to see the right image of who we are. And James is saying here, and I'll tell you what this mirror is in a minute, but James is saying when you look in this mirror that I'm about to tell you what mirror you should be looking into, the reason why you're not doing the word and walking in consistent relationship with Jesus, I'm not talking about your finished relationship, but the results of that relationship, the reason why you're not walking in the fruit of that relationship is because you forget who you are when you look into the mirror. So let's find out what the mirror is, and then we'll find out what we should be seeing in that mirror. All right, so let's look at verse 25. He says, James says, but one who looks intently. So the way you focus and the way you dig in and the way you look is important. It's not just what you see, but it's how deep you look, how deep you look. Most of the time when we look into the mirror, into this mirror that we typically look into, we don't like what we see. So we don't look deep. And if we do look deep, we just get more discouraged with ourselves and what we see and the areas of weakness and failure and discouragement and defeat. But James goes from this, but one who looks intently, right here is where it changes, at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful here. So let's stop right there. Look at perfect law, the law of liberty. Well, we know the book of Hebrews tells us that the Old Testament law was not the perfect law, according to Paul. Why? Because we have now a better covenant 
with better promises. I'll share that scripture reference in a minute, but I want to stay on this. I want to stay on this point. The perfect law, the law of liberty is not the old Testament is not the old covenant, the rules and the codes and the expectations and the standard and the rule book. Okay. Because we don't live by a rule book anymore. We live by a relationship. It's not rules. It's relationship. Jesus said, I am the truth. Now we think that truth living by, okay, well, we got to live by grace and we got to live by truth, Tony. Don't we have to live by grace and truth? What, what most people are saying is we need to live by grace and rules. We got to have rules and we got to have grace. They both, but see what happened. If you look at the history of the children of Israel, they lived for 1400 years under the old covenant law and they were never free. They were always in bondage to it. They always lived in bondage to that law. David said, I love your law. It's perfect. Enlightening the eyes. Well, see, David was living post or pre, pre-Jesus, pre-crucifixion, pre-resurrection. We live on the other side now. We're seated with him in heavenly places. We get the reward before we obey the rules. Do you understand how grace works? We get what we don't deserve. In the old covenant, you got what, you're des- what you deserved. In the new covenant, you get what you don't deserve. I don't des- deserve eternal life. I don't deserve the throne with Jesus. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve for my name to be written down. I don't deserve to carry the title of Christian. I don't don't deserve the title of overcomer. Paul said, you are an overcomer. Well, to be an overcomer, I have to come over some things. But in the new covenant of grace, I already get the robe of righteousness. I get to put on that. It's like going to graduation. You have to earn that degree to wear that robe. But in righteousness, Jesus Christ got the degree. He passed the test. He he uh, uh, was the sacrifice. He's the one that finished the work. He got the grade. He got the A. And I get the A because he got the A. I don't get graded on a curve. I'm graded on the cross. Let me say that again. We don't get graded on the curve in our Christian walk, how well I do and how well I don't do. I get graded by how well Jesus did. That's the new covenant of grace. And James is saying here in chapter one, verse 25, but one who looks intently at that perfect law, the law of freedom, the law of liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. Jesus said, I'm the truth. He didn't say, I've got a book of rules for you to obey. No, he said, I'm the truth. If you want to come to the Father, you come through me. You don't come through the code of conduct. You don't come through the rules. You don't come through perfect behavior. You come through the perfect Savior. It's not what a bad sinner I am. It's what a good Savior Jesus is. It's not what I do for God. It's what he has already done for me through Jesus Christ. And this is the mirror that we should be looking into. But the problem is, is that when we do look into this mirror, and this is the start, you've got to look into the right mirror. When we look into the wrong mirror, we're going to see a distorted view of ourselves. That's the old covenant. You're a failure. You messed up. You lied. You cheated. You coveted your brother's uh, house. You, you're jealous. 
Um, and Jesus even made it more clear to the disciples. He said, when you are angry with your brother, you commit murder. Some of you say, man, I've never murdered anybody. I'm, I've lived according to the law. Whenever you're angry at somebody, you commit murder toward them. And there's no way we can walk through this life and not be angry with somebody. Okay. You can be angry and sin not, but when you are angry at somebody, Jesus says, whenever you're angry with your brother, you've murdered him. Jesus is making it very clear that you cannot live out the old covenant. See, grace raises the ceiling of our ability to, to uh, walk it out. You know, the, the, the Pharisees were, they were the most holy, devout, righteous people there were of their time. But when grace came, it took the eight foot ceiling and raised it to 30 feet. Now nobody can jump up and touch it. Even in your best day, you're not good enough. So the mirror we need to be looking into is a new covenant mirror. The, what, what Christ has accomplished in our life, the things that he has done for us, who we really are, what we really are, what that finished work really means. And the Bible says here in first in James chapter one, that we need to look intently at it. We need to have a purposeful search for who we are in Christ If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. What is your new creation status? What has Jesus done for you? What, not what should you do for him? That's not where it starts. It doesn't start on doing. It starts with done. See, a lot of Christians start with what do I need to do rather than what has Jesus done? And it's backwards. We do for God and we try to walk into that holiness relationship rather than looking at what he's done and made us holy and starting from done, starting from there. And not only starting there, but believing it's finished. Not that we have to, not that we have to maintain or get to a certain place in holiness and righteousness. You are as righteous as you will ever be. Second Corinthians 5 and 21 says that you are the righteousness of God of God. You're not just righteous. You're not just a good child. You're not just a good offspring, but you have actually become the righteousness of God through Christ. That's where it starts. That's got to be the mirror that you look into. It's called the undistorted, clear perspective of what Jesus has done for you, who you are, what you have, what your status is, what your relationship with God is through Jesus. Think about this. Jesus is not afraid of losing his salvation with God. He is permanently fixed, seated next to the Father at the right hand of the Father. He is his most adored, most cherished son. God will never disown him, and it's not based on his behavior. It's based on his identity. He was born of God. He will be forever loved by God. Think about that in relationship to who we are. 1 John 4 and 17, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. That means that my perspective of who I am is all through Christ. In Christ is a very important thing for you to know right now. If it says, if any man be in Christ, that means whatever Christ is, that's what you are. If Jesus is seated next to the Father, so are you. If Jesus will never lose his salvation with God, that means that's, that's you as well. If it says that Jesus is victorious and overcoming, then you are 
then you are victorious and overcoming. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what he has done. That's the mirror that you must look into. Doing the word is important. Walking consistently in your walk of faith and practice is very important. Living out the victorious life in in, in your daily living is very important, but it's how you get there. That's what I'm trying to get at. It's not that it's not important. It's like, how do I come into that flow of consistent walk with Jesus? Doesn't mean I won't have failures. It doesn't mean I won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that I won't fall flat on my face and flat out blow it. But my eternal relationship with Jesus does not change just because I make a temporal earthly mistake. That has been fixed forever. And if I live from that place of forever righteous with Jesus, through Jesus, with God, that means that I will be looking into the right mirror, my covenant, who I am, what he has done, and I look intently at it, and I stay focused on it, and I don't let this, let Satan or my actions deter me from believing who I am. I'm looking in that mirror very clearly, and I see the Son of God looking right back at me. We'll talk about that in a few, but when I see that mirror. I see the image of Jesus, what he has done. And if I look intently at it and I don't forget it, then I'm going to walk consistently because I know who I am and I know what Christ has done in my life. This is powerful. You ought to be shouting right now, right where you are. Hey guys, I just want to thank you for listening to this podcast today. We're going to continue on in our next episode. But before we do, just want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, especially if it's blessed you, don't hog it, share it with others. And when you do these things, it it helps us make uh, more people aware of our podcast so that we can share content with so many more who need to discover how to have peace and joy in every area of their life. So I'll be back again with a powerful episode. And until then, we'll see you.